I do. Would you say hello this morning? Get their name. We are glad to have you here with us, worshiping, praising God, because he is worthy of all of our praise. Not for 
the black folder in the front of you. That's our friendship folder. Would you sign that? Just lets us know that you're here today. If you are a new time visitor here or a guest, we are so glad to have you. And if you stop at our welcome center in the foyer, we have a gift for you. And also there's lots of information regarding our church and just any questions you may have. We're glad you're here today. Also, coming up August 23rd, I think that's two weeks from today, we have our church picnic. Um, It's going to be at Peterswood Park. If you look in the bulletin, there's information in there about what time. Um, We're going to have a concession from um, Middy's this year, I believe. Um, If you don't feel like cooking that day, um, you can bring your food. There's more information in the bulletin regarding that. And again, you can stop at the Welcome Center. But that's coming up. It's a great time of our church just fellowshipping, hanging out, having some fun together. Coming up is our last movie night of the summer. It is Friday, August 28th. It's cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Um, If you've never seen it, I'm sure it is really interesting and good. Um, But it's really fun just getting together with our community, sitting out on the lawn like it's a drive-in theater, bringing your blankets, lawn chairs, and just having a really great night. And it's kind of ending the summer as we look forward to fall. So that is Friday, August 28th. Also, the men's retreat is coming up. It is September 11th through the 13th. Men, we want you to sign up today. It's a great time to get away, get renewed, refreshed, and just have a good time of fellowship hanging out with the guys. So if you want information on that, it is also in the foyer today. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Rhonda. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a busy summer. It's so good to see you today in the church. If you're happy to be here, say amen. Amen. The enthusiasm this summer has just been tremendous. 
even though many of our people are traveling and they're going all over the place, the Lord just keeps bringing people into the church and uh, people from out of town are stopping to say hi. Listen, we heard about the church. We just wanted to come and enjoy a service of worship in the Word with you. Uh, we're happy today to have uh, Amanda Dalfit. Amanda and her husband Aaron are leaders of the church in Masontown, Pennsylvania. And uh, that church is not very old. Amanda has come down to be a part of uh, uh, a real great fellowship here at our church. Amanda and your friend from Mason Town, would you stand up back there? Let us welcome you. Give them a good hand. Thank you. Uh, they, ha they have a nice, nice church in Mason Town, Pennsylvania. And uh, we're so excited about what God's doing up there. And through Aaron's brother Dave is over in Dunbar, and he has a church there. And so the Dalfit brothers are doing the work of the Lord. We're happy, Amanda, you're here with us today. Well, this summer, as I mentioned, uh, we've been praying the list. Uh, you've received one of these every time you've come into church. You have them all over your house. Uh, we've been looking at this. We've been praying over every one of these items. And the ministry this summer is all on the back our Canopy Kids, uh, our Vacation Bible School. We're praying now that the Lord will just bring in a, a whole new wave of uh, children into our preschool. Let's continue to pray for that. Uh, and in a few weeks, we're going to have like a report on what God did in our church this summer through the power of prayer. And I guarantee you, you're going to be excited when we give that report, Okay. I'll just kind of like throw that out there to get you thinking about it, all right? Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We uh, thank you so much for caring for your church each week, for giving to Christ and His ministry, and uh, we want to thank the Lord now for this opportunity. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love and how you pour down your blessings upon us. We thank you for our church family and how they respond week by week and month by month and even year by year, Lord, and how you've taken care of us through the years. We pray now that you'll pour out your blessing upon every gift and every giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
by your name. Your word, it stands eternal. Your kingdom knows no end. Your praise goes on forever and on and on again. No chapter 17. We've, uh, we've been having a fun time continuing the, the story of the book of Acts, lessons from the book of Acts, um, as we start out with uh, the AD series, and now we've continued. We're calling it Unfinished because the book of Acts is unfinished by your life. You get to have a part in the Acts of what God has called us to do. So um, today we've called this Good News is Always Good News, Acts chapter 17. We live in a culture where the, the world seems to be upside down at times. You, you just look around and you, and you think, wow, things are going good, then it's bad. And then you see it's bad, bad, bad. We see a lot of negative things happening. And as we, we look at the, the things that are important to us as, as followers of Christ, you may look at the culture and you may say, well, there, there's so many things that are negative. How do I handle that? What do I do with, with the culture around me? I just, sometimes you just get infuriated by the things. And uh, today, let's look at what the Apostle Paul did here. We're continuing his journey, um, and we'll throw the map up here, his missionary journey. He started out over here in, uh, in Antioch of Syria, and he's, you can follow the arrows there. Now we're all the way down to the very end of a- over at Athens. And uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 16, we'll begin reading there. Uh, the first thought that I'd like to give you today is this, that the problems of our culture will stir our hearts. The problems of our culture will stir our hearts. And uh, let's look at uh, what, what happened to the Apostle Paul here. He says, Acts seventeen sixteen. Luke tells us, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, so he was on the way, uh, the rest of his team was coming, but he's there by himself, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So you're talking here about 2,000 years ago, um, the Apostle Paul, he's walked into the city of Athens, and Athens had been one of the great cities of the world. It was one of the most celebrated cities in all of Greece, and uh, it was also home to, uh, to such great thinkers like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and uh, it was also uh, the center for philosophy, the center for literature, science, and art, and it was, uh, it was, uh, all these things were flourishing in, in this town of Athens. And Paul could have easily have walked around Athens and he could have just taken a tour and enjoyed the scenery, enjoyed what was going on there because Paul was a very, uh, very educated person. Before Paul had become a believer, he went off to the, uh, we could call it the University of Tarsus and the University of Jerusalem, if you will. He was, he was an educated person. And he really was a, a, a smart person. So when he went, landed in a place like Athens, it would have been real easy for him to take in the sites. One such site that he would have saw was the, uh, what was known as the Acropolis. Um, and you, you can see that there. And, and uh, what, what, a, what an incredible place that would be to see today, even if, as a tourist. If you were take, uh, there on tourism today, you would be enthroned by that great, uh, what's left of it there. 
But in the days of Paul, he walked around and he's seeing that there are all these idols everywhere. Um, this here was described as one vast composition of architecture and sculpture dedicated to the national glory and to the worship of the gods. See, they had all these idols. They had 30,000 idols in this town. 30,000 gods. False gods. But there were 30,000 of them. Um, one man said that it was said that there were more statues of gods in Athens than in all of Greece combined. And that it would be easier to find a god than a man in Athens. You had 30,000 30,000 of these idols. They were, they were everywhere. They were on the buildings. They were little altars everywhere. There's 30,000 of them. And yet there were only about 10,000 people. So the idols were etched into, the, uh, into, the, and, into every place that they go. And they, you could see these idols everywhere. And Paul, that is what he saw. Now what does he feel? The scripture says that he was provoked. Um, the, the original language here, uh, the word provoked means... It comes from the same root word as a medical seizure. Okay? In other words, he, he is enraged. He is, he is beside himself. He, he cannot take it. He is overwhelmed with it. It's the same concept that God was provoked when the children of Israel built a golden calf. Moses was up on, on the mountain and giving, God, uh, giving the Ten Commandments. God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. And God is provoked by the children of Israel. As they, break, as they make the golden calf. Isaiah 65.3 says that God was provoked by the children of Israel's false worship. Uh, what did Paul do? How did, how did he handle this? Yes, we're going to have times like that where we're provoked, where things have really disturbed us. He did not act out in anger. That's what I find real interesting as you look at the chapter. He didn't act out in anger. It would have been real easy for him just to go through the town and, and just say what he thought about all those idols and just be condemning and, and just so negative. What he did, though, was he went out and he reasoned. That's the next thought in our notes this morning. Take time to reason with care for the message of Jesus. Acts chapter 17 and verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So he starts and he goes in. This was Paul's, Paul typically did this. He went into the, into the synagogue. That's where he would find some god fears, some people that had a basic understanding that, that there is a God and that there is a Bible. And he would take and he would start with those folks there. But notice it says that he didn't stop there. He worked with both Jew and Gentile, Jews and non-Jews. He worked with everybody. And in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Now, understand the marketplace at Athens. Uh, when we think of marketplace, we think typically of this buying and selling and like going, you know, going and, and, and having a trade. That certainly is part of the concept. But it's also in Athens, you're talking about like being on Harvard campus. There were these great minds were everywhere. There were these great thinkers all over the place. And so what Paul does is he engages what is known as the Socratic method of reasoning. Uh, he's, he's reasoning. The, the word reason, and we shared that with you last week, was that reason involves dialogue. There's a, there's a dialogue coming back and forth. There's a question and answer. I'm caring about you. I'm listening. I'm leaning in to try and hold a conversation with you. I like to call it the Colombo tactic. You know, do you remember Columbo? He had that trench coat, and he put on that trench coat, and he'd come in, and there'd be a, you know, he's always investigating a crime, and what would Columbo do? He'd say, uh, excuse me, do you have a pencil? Yeah, that was his first thing. Do you have a pencil? Then the next thing was, uh, and, and I have a question. And then, you know, as he would keep on going with his questions, what was his famous last line? Is he, and he's about ready to walk out the door, and he says, and another thing, and just one other thing, you know, and that, that was Columbo. And that, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's reasoning. He, he's leaning in. You know, when you are interested, you're interesting. In other words, if I'm interested in you, I'm interesting to you. And that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was taking interest, he was leaning in, and he was reasoning. And this reasoning went on for several days, no doubt. Um, he wasn't there to win an argument. It's so easy sometimes when we're thinking about the things of Scripture and the things that we know are right. It's so easy just to try and win an argument. But we're not here to win an argument. We're here to win somebody's heart to Jesus. 
And uh, as a matter of fact, Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 11.30 that he that wins souls is wise. If you, you care about somebody's heart, bringing them to Christ, you're a wise person. And so we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to win their heart to Jesus. And we can do this through reasoning. By sitting here and talking. And I'm thankful for the great minds of our day today that, uh, that, are, that, that are on the college campuses and in the university where all the philosophers are today. Uh, such men as Ravi Zacharias that are out there and they're challenging. They're, they're into the reasoning. There's where we can, we can also be involved. Reason with people. Communicate back and forth, back and forth. We influence others to Jesus Christ. Verse 18, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. This was the marketplace. It was the center of all the, all the media. But it was also like being on Harvard campus. And here he finds, he comes into these two different philosophies. Right now, he's not preaching, but he's not hiding it either. He's reasoning. And he comes up with an Epicurean and a Stoic. The Epicureans and the Stoics had two different philosophies. The, the Stoic, um, they understood, they were like the moralist, if, we, if you will. Uh, they understood that to them the meaning of life was to be a good person or to be a good moral person. And uh, when suffering came, you don't cry. You just detach yourself from it. Uh, the more suffering, the better. It's kind of about fate. And uh, most people couldn't handle suffering their way. And so when Christianity came along, we offered those people hope. But it was all about this moralist. I'm going to be good, and if I be good, then I'll appease the gods. Uh, Epicureans, they were relativists. Uh, they, were, they, they understood that to them, they thought that the gods are remote and not involved in their life. They have no interest, and when you die, you die. Uh, the meaning of life is to be happy do whatever you want to do. Be, uh, have pleasure. If you decide it's right for you, it's right. If you decide it's wrong, it's wrong. And that was their philosophy. They were relativists. And sounds familiar today, doesn't it? You know, we hear both of those camps out there today. But, but here we see the Apostle Paul. He's engaging in conversation. And those are the two types of people, that, the philosophies. We've seen the Apostle Paul. He's ministered to people that were broken He's ministered to people that were in business, that just common, middle-class common people. He's ministered to the high class, and now he's ministering to the philosophers. Uh, the message that Paul was reasoning was just so foreign to these people. Look at verse 18. This, they, they said to him, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to, to proclaim a foreign God because he preached uh, the message of Jesus and the resurrection. And the babblers... Uh, the word there for babbler is really a seed picker. In other words, you could translate it, uh, what does the seed picker want to say? And it was, it was, it was common to, to some of the Greek poems. And they understood what a seed picker was. He would come along and he would just kind of pick around. And they were basically saying, uh, what does this seed picker of philosophy want? He's picked a little here, a little here. It's not really original. Let's just kind of hear him out. And they're down talking him. They're saying, you know what, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And others are saying, well, it must be a foreign god. Maybe he's bringing these foreign gods in. We have 30,000 gods. And now this guy's going to come and give us a new one. And they thought he was going to add on to their god. It would be 30,000 in one. Well, that's not what Paul was about to do. Look at verse 19. It says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So the message of Jesus is totally new. It's totally foreign to these folks. And they bring them up to the Areopagus. And that is, uh, it, in, again, in the original means Mars Hill. Uh, it, was, it was up on a hill, Mars Hill, and you could get, you hear this in your Bible. Some of you may have it even written in the side, Paul's message on Mars Hill. And so Paul is up there, and he's, he's giving his defense of the gospel. He's sharing the gospel. He, he has this huge opportunity against these philosophers. But it was also a court, if you will. 
You could envision it as a court setting. This was the supreme court of philosophers. And as he came up against the supreme court of philosophers, what he said, if they would validate what he said, he'd be allowed to teach. He'd be allowed to just go on and, and be, be accepted there. But here he is, he's standing on Mars Hill, and he has this great opportunity. And notice what he does. There's a, it's very interesting to me what he does. He shares the gospel, but he does it in a great way. He's dealing with philosophers. He's dealing with, with, with some really smart people. And look how he starts. First of all, um, he was positive. He starts by being positive. You know, we have the greatest news in the world. This message of Jesus, the message of salvation, that Jesus died on the cross, came back to life again for you, is the greatest message in all the world. It will change your life. It has changed my life. And as we go out from here, we have to be careful to be positive. It's the greatest thing in the world. Look what he did. Verse 22, he says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. So in other words, he's in the midst of these men, this court up on Mars Hill. And he said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He says, he starts positive. He doesn't come and, and, and destroy them about their idols. He says, listen, I see all these idols everywhere, and I see that you really have a desire for God. I see that you really want to know God. You're very religious. You're trying to see God. That's what religion's about. People trying to see God, right? So he says, I perceive that you are very religious because I'm walking around and I see all your gods. I see these idols. I see the altars. And yet I even found one altar with the inscription on it to the unknown God. And he says, what he's doing, he's basically saying, okay, you're telling me there's a gap here. You're telling me that there are 30,000 gods, but there's one God just in case. Just in case, right? And that's what we have today, don't we? You know, we, we may not have all these idols and statues around everywhere, but uh, if you ask somebody why they would give their money to help a poor person, they would say, maybe they would tell you, well, just in case. Uh, somebody who says, well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. And you would say, well, why would you only go to church on Christmas and Easter? Well just in case. I've heard people tell me, I want to have all the bases covered. I want to have everything covered, just in case. And that's where these people were. They were at the point of just in case. Um, they had 30,000 gods, but just in case we haven't hit it with all those, here's the altar to the unknown God. Um, second thing he does is he, he uses the known to reveal the unknown. Verse 23, for as I was passing through and considering the object of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So he starts positive, says you're reaching God, but there's a, there's a need. You have a need. You're trying to find God, but you haven't found him. And here, here's where it is. The, the unknown God, you're, you're, you're looking for him. Let me tell you who the unknown God is. It is the God, God of the universe. Uh, he says that, uh, don't worry, the very thing, uh, you, know, you may have been ignorant. Some translations use the word ignorant here. In other words, they just didn't know. They didn't understand. They had, they had knowledge of all these other gods. They had knowledge of, of their God system, but they didn't have the knowledge of God himself. There was a gap, and he fills it in. He says, here's the unknown God. Uh, the next thing he does is he clearly proclaims the good news of Jesus. It's just a clear presentation now about the good news. So verse 24, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And what he's saying here to them, he's telling them that God is bigger than your religion. You have all this religion. You've been trying to see God. And I'm telling you that God is bigger. God does not fit into your temple. God doesn't go into, a, into an altar somewhere. He made the world and the heavens, everything in it. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. Uh, the Greek and the Roman gods, they, the people that day understood about the Greek and Roman gods, they were there, the, the people were there to serve the Greek and Roman gods. They would bring them food. They would bring them clothing. They would do things to care for the, for the gods. And isn't it interesting how our God is different? 
God himself became the sacrifice for us. And yet these people were looking to bring a sacrifice to God. Uh, you appeased the, those gods. You didn't really worship them. You didn't really adore them. There was no sense of adoration. And he's saying here, listen, this God that I'm telling you, the unknown God that you don't even understand, uh, you know about something's missing. Here's what's missing. The creator of the universe. And so Paul says there is a God who is way above these things. He's the God of beauty, the God that you can believe in. He is so much more bigger. Verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Uh, he's not served. The God of the universe is not served by human hands. He's bigger than that. Um, you can bring all the food you want to your idol's but our God is bigger than that. He doesn't need you to bring him food. He doesn't need you to bring him clothing. Uh, religion is all about how we seek him, isn't it? Have you noticed that? Religion is all about how man tries to get to God. And quite frankly, that's why many people are turned off to religion. Because if you look at all the religions of the world, you'll find that most religions will tell you, actually they all will tell you, here's how we think you get to God. And you get to God by being this. And they present a standard. And then, the rest of the time is all dealt with how you didn't meet that standard. Well, when you're thinking about Jesus, Jesus said, here's the standard. You didn't make it. Now let me tell you how I'm going to take care of it. God himself comes down to the earth and takes the, the, the price for you. It's the only... It's the greatest news in all the world. That's why we call it good news. And it's always good news. Because God himself took on all of my shortcomings, took on all of my sins when he died on that cross. When he rose from the, get, from the grave, he validated it. And that is the main difference there. And so he's bringing it down. And he's saying, listen, God is bigger. You can't fit God into your box. You cannot fit God into your box. Um, and look at what he says here in verse 26. And he has made from one blood, one man... Every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So he says, you know, God created Adam, Adam and Eve. And this was the beginning. It was all from God. So we're all, we've all come from him. So that they should seek the Lord, verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, that he is not far from each one of us. He's saying here that God is so much bigger. There is a sovereign God. Why do you live where you live? Because God is sovereign and God allowed you to grow up where you grew up. You know, sometimes I, I'll ask that question. Why, why did I have the family that I had when I was growing up? You know, sometimes you look and you say, boy, I wish things would have been different. Well, that's where God in his sovereign hand allowed me to be. He allowed me to grow up in Dormont. He allowed the odd things that I had to deal with in my family. He allowed all that. He allowed me to find a bus one day that would, find, that would bring me out here and bring me so that I would find the message that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead that I might have eternal life. That is all under the sovereign hand of God. And so when we start to understand that, we, we begin to step back and we say, wow, I can't fit into God's box. I have to fit into his box. Would you think about that with me? God doesn't fit into my box. You know, I look at my life and I say, this is how life ought to be. And what I try to do is I try to put God into my box. And God says, I am so much bigger than that. I am way bigger than that. Human hands can't make a place for me. I am way bigger than this. Why would you think that, uh, that, that, that you could put God into our box? And that's what we do. Um... Christian Smith says this, he's a, a Christian sociologist, and he says this, that today many young people have a moralistic therapeutic deism. And what that means, he basically says is this, that a lot of young people in our country today say, if I just live a good life, uh, then God should let my life go the way I think it ought to go. See, there's the morals. If I just do, a good, if I just do good things, then God will bless me, and, I, and, you know, everything, and I'll have a white picket fence with 2.4 children. And everything will be happy ever after. And as we know, it doesn't work that way, right? I've never had a white picket. I've got two, not 2.4 children. 
Alright? It's not perfect. We don't live in a perfect world. God didn't promise a perfect world. He promised that He's bigger. And when we come and we worship God for who He is, that changes everything. Uh, in January of 1956, Elizabeth Elliot and her husband Jim Elliot and four other missionary couples, the ten of them prayed together and they sang this song, We Rest on Thee, Our Shield and Defender. The next day, Five, their five husbands went into the jungles of Ecuador. They flew in to take, a, take the gospel to a new tribe. And as, uh, as many of you know, know, the, know the history there, they, uh, these five men gave their lives in response to the, of obedience to God. They felt that God told them. They were, they were studying his word. They were, they were there with the purpose to take his word into this jungle. And they go in and they're speared. And what happens here? These wives worship God as God. And two years later, the wives go back in and they have a ministry and raise their children in the jungle and this whole tribe comes to Jesus. That can only come when we put God up here and God is not in my box. I'm in God's box. See the difference now? Life didn't go the way I planned it. Life will never go the way we planned it. Because God, I'm in God's box. And God has such a macro view. God can see this whole picture. I'm looking at it like this. I'm looking at what's in my box. Um, Evelyn Underhill said this, If God were small enough to be understood, He wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. Now think about that. If God were small enough to be understood, in other words, you could, you could understand the whole ways of God, and you, you could say, well, this is how life, and this is why. I, I hear that happen over and over. People always want to ask, well, why did I have this trial? Why did I have this suffering? There must be a reason. I don't know what it is, but I know that I don't have to know. I know that I worship God, and God is in control. If God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. The next thing that the Apostle Paul does is he, he, he uses something relevant. He connects with people where they're living today. Acts uh, 17.28, he continues, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we also are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like God or is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. He quotes here from a Stoic author, Aratus, and he gives him. He says, "Look, you understand. You, you've heard this poem. Uh, you understand that uh, yeah, for we are also his offspring, and that poem was written in reference to Zeus. The, they believe this poet." said that you are the offspring of Zeus. And what he says here, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to take something that you know, and let me tell you the real truth. You think of Zeus, it's really God. It's really God. It's this whole message about Jesus. He died, he rose again. This is who it is. Let me fill in the gap for you. And then he takes it and he makes it personal. Acts 17.30, truly these things of ignorance God overlooked. In other words, they didn't know. They did, in the times when you didn't understand, you didn't know, God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of all this by raising him from the dead. So he tells them to repent and he tells them why to repent, because there's a judgment coming. And so this is so important that we understand this today. Um, there is a judgment coming. And look what he says here about the judgment. He says, number one, it will be universal. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. There's a day coming that God is going to judge the whole world. Nobody will escape it. It's universal. Uh, it, will be, it will be judged according to righteousness. Look, because he is appointed on day that he will judge the world in the righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's referring to Jesus. Uh, it will be definite. He says that there is a day coming. There, God has already appointed a day. So he says, listen, I want this to be personal. I want you to don't walk away today and just say, okay, I've added Jesus onto the gods. Don't just say that, that there are 30,001 God now. 
Now I want you to walk away. I want you to change your mind. He says to repent. The word repent means to change your mind, to change your purpose, change your mind. So he's now changing his, he's saying, I want you to turn from these gods, these gods who are not there, they're gods who are small, and come to the great big God, the God who cannot fit into an altar, and change the way you think about who God is, and remember who He is. You know, a lot of times people today say, well, what's the truth? What's it all about? And really, it should be, what, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's what Paul was coming down to. He was bringing it down to who Jesus is. Repent, because he has given, verse 31 says, that he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This, this is what changes the whole game. The whole difference is that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's telling him, he says, listen, this happened 10, 15 years ago. Over there, down there in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem. And let me tell you about it. I, you want to know Peter and James and John? I'll, I'll take you over. I'll show you the, some of the eyewitnesses. They, they can tell you. This just happened. And he tells them, look, that he has given them assurance by this man who was risen from the dead. And that is our same message that we have today. We carry that message out, that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the game changer. See, with all the religions that are trying to seek God, I come and I, I seek God, right? I try to be a better person. I live a moral life. Well, that's good until I don't live a moral life. You know? I try and I try and I try and I've had a success and then all of a sudden I fail. Well, the whole message of Jesus was that Jesus came because you did fail. And because he knows that even in your own power. You know, if I, if I try to come and bring into this picture that I'm going to clean up my life and change my life and, and God will be happy with me, it's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what the, the message that Paul's carrying here. He's saying, repent. Turn from these gods. You know, today we, we worship many gods. We don't have idols. But there are things that, that go after the number one seat. There are things that go after that number one seat. You know, uh, it could be your family. It could be, could be your job. It could be any number of things. But yet, I want God to be in that number one seat. And every day we have to come back and, and reset that. That's what he's telling them. Repent. Come back. Put God there. These other gods do not exist. Number three, the message of the cross summons a response. The message of the cross summons a response. If you share Jesus with somebody, I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to go ahead and share that. And do not be afraid to share. Because, you know, many times uh, we, we get there and we, we're worried about the response. Let's look at the response here. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, uh, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Uh, however, some joined him and believed. Some joined and believed. So there were three ways of response. Number one was outrage. Um, they, they, were, they were offended by the message. And uh, they were outraged. It says that they mocked them. Well, why, why would that be such an issue for them to mock? Why would they be so outraged by the gospel? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, if this man Jesus rose from the dead, and that validated his message, what's it say about the other 30,000 gods? And if Jesus rose from the dead, what's that say about what you've been trusting in? Think about that. If you've been trusting in, I'm a good person. Well, I've done this. I've given my money to help the poor. I've gone to church since I've been six years old. I've, I've lived a good moral life. I help little old ladies across the street. What does that say? It says that those things aren't of value to get you into the seat of God. And it says that only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus is the way. The message of the cross summons a response. So that's why there was outrage. And there's times when you go to share the gospel of Jesus, uh, there may be outrage. You may have people that will mock you. It's okay. The apostle Paul was mocked. Jesus was mocked. What makes us think that we would be any different? We are to go out and share this great message and understand it's okay to be mocked. Uh, then there were others who inquired. It says, we will hear you again on this matter. Uh, I'd like to know some more. C come back another time. Um, you know, often I think about that when I've, I've had a lot of experiences sharing Christ this summer. God has given me many opportunities to one-on-one -on -one have discussions 
reasoning about who Jesus is and reasoning, helping them to understand that they need a Savior. And that, you know what, don't be afraid of the questions. You're going to go out there. I want to encourage you to go out and share Jesus. Be positive. Share, share a simple gospel message. And, and do not be afraid of the questions. You know, whenever I go out there and I'm sharing, sometimes there's a question that comes up and I don't know the answer. And sometimes I have to come back and say, can I come back to you? You know, that happens to me if I was going to fix your mower. You know, if I was to fix your mower, I, you, your mower's broken. I, ha, I tend to have this nature. I think I can fix everything, but I can fix nothing. You know, and, and, and my neighbor, you know, the mower goes down. I go home and I try to fix the mower. And, and she's like, what do you think's wrong with it? I'm like, uh, let me come back to you. I've got to go watch a YouTube video. Okay? And I watch that YouTube video and I come back and then I totally tear it apart and then... Tom Anton has to come to my rescue and save it, you know? And, uh, but, but, you know, that's what happens. It's okay. We go out there and we share. And you don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to understand every objection because we have the greatest news. It is in, in simplicity. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, and he is resurrected. Will you in simple, childlike faith trust him? That's it. And then when people get into, there's all kind of objections and discussion. Well, you know what? You come back and say, that's a good question. Do you mind if I get back to you on that? And you write it down and you come back. I've done that many times. Uh, we're not walking encyclopedias. We're humans that God is using. And God will use you in your workplace, in your marketplace, to reason for the gospel. Um, today, as we close here, uh, and, and then the, the last group were people that followed some will follow. This message changed the world. It changed the world. That's why I've, we've been super enjoying the book of Acts. You've just seen it spread from Jerusalem. Now it's to all over the world. And, uh, and this, you go back and look through history and you just see how God moved. But I want to encourage you today to take the gospel of Jesus back to the marketplace. Uh, you're a follower of Christ I want to encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus back to, back to the marketplace. George McLeod says this. He says, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. At a crossroads of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. And at the kind of place where cynics talk trash, thieves curse, soldiers gamble. Because that is where he died. And that is who he died for. And that's where Christ's men ought to be. What church people ought to be about. Let's take Jesus to our marketplace and not leave him between two candles in a church. Let's bow in prayer today. As you reflect on God's word, and you reflect on this great message uh, that Paul gave in the scripture here, it's one of the most tightly woven philosophical, theological expositions we've seen because he is coming and he's dealing with these great thinkers. I hope today that you have seen that you have a need for a God that is bigger than you can imagine. He's bigger than your world. He's bigger than your box. And he wants you to be a part of his box. He wants you to be a part of, of, uh, of his plan. And so his standard is perfection. Only, only Jesus could accomplish that. And that's what our message is, that Jesus came to earth, the God-man, and he died on the cross perfect. He who knew no sin became sin for us and he took the punishment of our sin that day on the cross. And three days later, he rose again. And the scriptures tell us that if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you'll repent this morning, change your mind about who Jesus is. Lord, I didn't know. I need you. God, I understand now and I accept you. That's what he wants you to do today. So if that's you, I'd like for you to just quietly, inside, pray this prayer to, to the Lord. Something like this. If you would like to, to solve that matter this morning. Just pray something like this. Dear God, I come to you today. I change my mind about who you are. I'm a sinner. 
I've fallen short of your glorious standard. But you took care of it on the cross for me. I invite you now into my life, O oh God. Thank you for dying on the cross and coming back to life again for me. I accept you as my personal Savior. If you did that this morning, God says that he has promised you a home in heaven based upon him, not who we are, but on who he is. Put your faith in a God who's bigger than we are. And today, for many in this room, many of you have accepted Christ and you're, you're following him, you're walking in faith. I want to encourage you, let's take this message back to the marketplace. Let's not be afraid to reason, to communicate. Just go in faith. Father God, we come before you, Lord. I pray for each person in this room. They're all responding to you right now, Lord. We can either walk away in outrage wanting to know more as an inquirer or to simply follow you. So God, as everyone has an option today, I pray that you will, you will move mightily and help us to be followers of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close our service. We're going we're gonna to have a baptism this morning. I'm pretty excited about this. We've been talking through the book of Acts about what it means to be baptized. So as we sing this next song, if you'd like to come and kneel and pray, feel free to do so. And then we're going to close our service with a baptism. We're so thankful today as we've uh, been studying in the book of Acts about, about the early church and when people came to Christ, came to faith in Christ, the first thing they did was to go get baptized. Many of them didn't wait. They just went and they got baptized. And baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision. Uh, what God has done inside of me. We know that this is just water up here. This doesn't save you. It doesn't get you to heaven. Only Jesus can do that. 
And so a few weeks ago, Jessica came up to me after one of the services and she said, she said, Pastor Ken, I'd like to get baptized with tears in her eyes. And she's just a sweet, sweet young lady. And, uh, and I said, well, let's sit down and talk. And we sat down and talked and she explained to me how somebody cared enough about her to tell her this message of Jesus. And it told her that Jesus died on the cross for her and that he came back to life again. All she had to do was accept his free gift of eternal life. And she told me where she was and, and who was with her and, and how that they prayed and she accepted Christ as her Savior. And let's give God the glory for that today, shall we? What an awesome God. She was sharing with us about how that she, uh, her life is, she feels this freedom in God. She feels no more guilt, no more burden of, 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 of life. And it it's all comes from God. And we're so thankful for what he's done in her life. So Jessica Broadwater, we come before this congregation today, before these witnesses, the, the fellow believers here today. And, and we are so thankful that you have decided to become a follower of Christ. And uh, our heart is joyed. I know you've been serving in our children's ministry already. God is working a great miracle in your life. And uh, so today, based upon your public profession of faith, you've made a profession of faith, and I ask you, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? And she, she says yes. All right? And today, based upon that profession of faith, I now baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection. Thank you.